Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality Channel. I'm Hitzer. I'm Isa. And this week, we're going to be talking about the hidden cinematic gems of 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, if you recall, a couple of weeks ago, we did an episode featuring the best films of 2021 so far. Um, so those are, you know, the big award bait, shall we say. <laughs> you know? um, not to say they're not good. We loved all these films. We loved Judas and Black Messiah. We loved Minari, etc., mm-hmm. um, etc. But I figured that we should take some time to kind of highlight the small little art house indie films that maybe don't necessarily get the attention of uh of you know of the award beat kind of films, you know, of yeah. the Oscar films. Um so here we are we are here to talk about four very little known and you probably have not seen uh, <laughs> movies. Uh but that's that's all the more reason we should talk about them because I really, really, really want people to catch Films such as this, such as this, you know, just because they don't get the sort of um, awards recognition or critical recognition or global acclaim of a parasite, for example, you know, yeah. uh, doesn't mean that there isn't a wealth of great cinema out there uh, at reach. You know, um, sadly, a lot of these art house films are not very well distributed. But thankfully, thanks to the age of you know VOD and streaming, most of this are available on VODs, uh, with the exception of one film, which is The Climb, which is available on the Projector Plus and was released by the Projector in Singapore, thanks to our friends at Anticipate Pictures. Mm-hmm. So here, we're, talk- uh, we're going to talk about four different films that I want to highlight. Number one uh, is a British coming-of-age film called Rocks, um, a very unevocative title, but... Mm. I think, in my opinion, one of the best films of 2021 so far. Yep. Um, e- even considering all the films that we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago. Secondly, I want to talk about Shiva Baby, uh, which is um, a humorous mix of uh, horror and anxiety and stress <laughs> uh, that we're going to be talking about as well. The third film is a mind-blowing journalism documentary coming out of Romania called Collective. Uh, one of the finest uh, journalism films I've ever seen really, really reminded me uh, what inspired me to study that in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, one of the artsiest bromance films I've ever seen called The Climb. Um, so all four of these films, my co-host uh, Isa has not been able to watch. But, uh, you know, because of, you know, my my day job as a, as a film critic and TV critic, I've been able to go around and, and you know, uh, watch different film festivals, you know, yeah. your Venices and your Cannes and your... Uh, Toronto's and your SR by Southwest and, and whatnot. So I've been able to pick, you know, just some of my favorite gems. Um, I'm, I'll be the first to admit that all these films have issues, so which is why they're not in the best of. Mm. But I love it just because of, you know, their creativity uh, and, and, and just the fact I don't see many of these kind of, kinds of stories being told. Yeah, um, and, you know, uh, what, what, what's your favorite of the four before we delve into them in detail? Uh, I think it's a toss-up between Rocks and Shiva Baby. Yeah, yeah. I I think between those two, I mean, like, the collective is is really really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's harrowing, it's evocative. Um, and and we'll dive more into that. Um, you know, when we get to that segment. Yeah. Um, the climb has its moments. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's entirely enjoyable, but still, there's something definitely, uh, that stands out more for uh the first two films that we're going to talk about. 
Oh, 100%. You know, let's begin with Rocks, which is a gritty yet giddy coming of age story that follows a Nigerian British teen named Shola Amotoso. Uh, one day, she's living a normal life, hanging out with friends in secondary school. And the next, she's forced to become the sole breadwinner and caretaker of her younger brother mm-hmm. after her mother abandons them. Rocks is a faultlessly authentic and exuberantly naturalistic film. I mean, much thanks to the improvised dialogue and sheer energy from its amazing cast of non-professional actors. Mm. You, know, you know, Rocks is kind of a, a radiant celebration of youth and friendship, as well as a painful drama about what happens when deprivation forces kids to grow up before they're ready. Um, I've seen Rocks a couple of times. I've loved Rocks. Uh, what is your opinion upon watching uh, one of my favorite films of 2021? Oh, man. Um, it is so natural the way in which everything is kind of captured the way the characters interact with with each other you know um you'd be forgiven for thinking that these were like professional actors right like every single character is so well portrayed and fleshed out um you know and it it feels very true to form and i i think that's kind of like the first thing that caught me um rocks also has a very uh florida project vibe to it I think that the was naturalism. the naturalism. Yeah, the naturalism of it and, you know, thematically also kind of like looking at similar themes. Um, and of course, you know, uh, we've already talked about the Florida Project and how much we love that. Uh, yeah. and, and of course, it has gone on about his, his love for naturalistic films. Rock yes. falls like squarely into that and it gives mm-hmm. you all of that and quite a bit more. Mm-hmm. Mm, for sure. Like, I definitely enjoyed it. I, I feel like its ability to show a very multicultural and very multicultural specific mm-hmm. um, kind of community within the schools itself and characters itself makes it very colorful, mm-hmm. um, more so than maybe like Florida Project, for example, right? Uh, and like that just, it just makes it fascinating, you know? Um, it's a peek into the lives of, well, these, these teens, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, in high school, right? Yeah, so these teens and these kids that just have a, um, it's a fascinating insight to lives that you know. Obvi- obviously, I, I don't have. You know, uh, I'm not privy to. Yes, yes, one hundred percent. You know, but at the same time, you are able to relate so authentically and so genuinely to their lives because I think we've all been kids in secondary school, right? We've all yeah. been at that age. We all know like how we talk to friends, the sheer exuberance of hanging out. You know, but at the same time, we've never had struggle in the way that um the main character here struggles. You know, mm-hmm. this this is kind of a a, a social realist adventure uh, written by Teresa Ikoko and Claire Wilson and directed by Severo Gavron, who who do a good job of capturing the multi ethnic community in East London. You know, oh, yeah. um, very much in the spirit of um what those old school uh French new wave kind of films and as you mentioned already the, the Florida project which also gains inspiration from there you know um as I mentioned the story at the center is is a group of 11 uh year 11 girls and and the star is Buki Bakre uh who plays the Nigerian British girl I mentioned earlier she's nicknamed Rocks uh so let's call her Rocks you know yeah um she's like no great academic high flyer but, you know, really talented at cosmetics. That's her passion. Mm-hmm. Um, her dad has passed away. She lives with a troubled mom who has had, you know, as a social worker delicately puts it, 
issues managing her medication, so it's implied that her mother has mental health issues, you know. Yeah. Um, so even with her mother around, it is Rox who is largely responsible for minding her kid brother, Emmanuel, who is also brilliantly played by the Angelou Ose Kisidu, mm-hmm. you know, a great kid actor, you know. Um, and he's he's kind of a bit of a scene stealer as well, as are all the girls in, in the film. Um, he starts the film... Uh, you, you know, like the, the whole odyssey of Rox and Emmanuel, right? You know, they essentially, after the mom leaves, they kind of have to go on the run. Yeah. That is the catalyst for the drama of the film. They have to go on the run, not because they're fugitives, not because they're criminals, but because Rox wants to be with her brother and she's afraid that if social services catches up with them and realizes that the mother has abandoned them, they will have to be pulled apart and have to live in foster homes, etc., etc. So that, that kind of provides the motor that drives the film along. But in a way, the best moments come when Rox is just hanging out with her, with her little brother or Rox yeah. are hanging out with her friends, you know, and are doing nothing more dramatically significant than just talking and laughing and rapping and, and like taking videos of themselves and selfies, you know. Like occasionally the scenes erupt into something um, defiant and so vibrant, like, you know, like a food fight more <laughs> monu- monumentally kicks off in the middle of a home econs class, right? Yeah. When, when a girl tells a grumpy teacher, uh, you're like this because you've got your period, sir. Um, <laughs> he furiously replies, that's actually really offensive. But it's this kind of really improv type dialogue that doesn't need to go anywhere or do anything or convey information even mm-hmm. that, is, that makes it highly entertaining and watchable. But more than that, makes it highly authentic because I feel like as you mentioned, you know, you could be forgiven for thinking that these kids are actors, but yeah. you could also be forgiven in some scenes for thinking that the, a director just approached a group, group of random kids and just like started oh, filming yeah. them. You know what mm-hmm, I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, that the, the sadness of the film is also there. You know, the, the sadness sometimes is piercing. You know, but at the same time, the core of it is rock, rock's resilience, her 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 tenacity. Uh, and in fact, sometimes a delusional belief that she can take care of her brother as well, you know. So it's it's a it's a good good mix of where she's coming from, uh, and, and the social service workers are not villains per se, but yeah. they are like to be avoided, lah. But it, it, I'm not gonna spoil how it ends, but you know, you you can't, you kind of know that a story like this can't, can't end well, right? You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's 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 pretty clear as you're following along. Like, there's a trajectory that is clear you know kind of like from the onset and and, and through no fault of the the film or the story at all mm-hmm. uh it's just not you know uh feasible right for them to be to continue on their own um uh, without any sort of support uh and mm-hmm. as much as there are moments in time where you root for them to be able to do that just because mm-hmm. of the magic of their relationship and you want to see that continue mm-hmm. um unfortunately there are realities that they have to come to terms with yeah, um, like the Florida project, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. So it, all around, like a solid, solid stuff. I I really do think that you know, uh, Rox and her brother, those moments are r- truly special, right? Mm-hmm. And and they don't have to hold any sort of like symbolic significance in order for it to be powerful. Mm. Uh, in showing you know, just kids being kids, right? Mm. Um, in difficult situations, and you know there are these there are special moments where they can continue to be kids, uh, despite the fact that there are you know there are real things that they have to deal with that are knocking kind of like uh, just on the tr- of them being on the threshold of yeah um, yeah yeah you know, so, it, solid solid stuff so like it's so natural so sparkling and behind the camera I can sense like 
this filmmaker is going to do big things, you know, in, mm. in, 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 the, in the root of uh, Sean Baker, who did Project Project and Tangerine and all that, and, and uh, Chloe Zhao, you know, that type of filmmaker, you know. Yeah. Um, she, she really knows when to direct and when to let her young stars just be themselves. Uh, and I, I often, you know, I had the subtitles on. I often, like, stopped. I just stopped trying to catch lines of dialogue and just kind <laughs> of tune in to the frequency of them, you know, like, just be in their vibe, you know. Mm-hmm. Rocks rever- reverberates with that kind of noisy authenticity, you know. There is, like, you know, random tamponet voice in, in, in the toilets and dance moves are busted out and Instagram and Snapchat are ever-present to capture the moment. La. So so the, the, the result is, I said, like, it's gritty, it's sad, but it's also gidding. It's, it's a giddy human drama yeah. that plays, like, a mix of, like, Goldhood and the 400 Blues and the Florida Project and a huge-hearted coming-of-age story that I think serves as an inadvertent throwback to the to the easy going buzz of hanging out with friends mm-hmm. in the city you call home, you know, as something that we haven't done for a long time. And apparently in Singapore we won't be able to do for a few months longer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry guys, like that just news broke today as we're recording that, that we're we are back to circuit breaker phase, meaning that we, you know, no more dining out, no more social activities. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, if, if you want to hang out, go watch uh, Rocks and hang out with these awesome girls. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I would really, really like to keep an eye on, on uh, Bakri's um, career from here on out, right? This was like her debut. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm, I'm very taken by her performance. Like, so, so good. Especially, I think, in the moments in time where she's confronted and needs, feels the need to explain herself, but cannot mm-hmm. find the words from it. Some of the like just facial expressions and and the quiet moments of that where she you can see like she retreats into herself to kind of like contemplate what she's actually doing mm-hmm. is phenomenal. Uh, it, it, that those those things are truly phenomenal, and I, I I'm really excited. I mean, she's so young, you know, to see where she goes with this. Mm-hmm. It, exactly, you know, um, one of my favorite films of uh, 2021. Would you would you rank it up there, you know, with like uh, the Father or Covetis Eda or, or stuff like that? You know, is it in your top ten? Yeah, easily for this year. Uh, yeah. I feel like it definitely has the quality to it. I mean, all of the films that we've discussed um, in, in the last episode, right? Uh, of of Behold and and um, the ones that we're discussing here, like it definitely ranks up there. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though it's a very different breed of film, right? Yeah. Perhaps closer to Minari, uh, but with a very kind of different lens to it that, that Cor- has a bit more realism and naturalism mm-hmm. here than we got with Minari. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, next up, let's talk about... I'm not going to call this an enjoyable film because <laughs> it, it it's much in the vein of... Um, it's much in the vein of Uncut Gems, right? Yeah. In, yeah. in terms of, it's just like a pure stress ball of a film, you know. Um, this film, talking about a Shiva baby, it is the feature directorial debut of writer-director Emma Seligman, mm-hmm. uh, who, is, uh, who crafts an absurdly funny, highly anxious comedy um, about a snarky bisexual girl named Danielle who runs into her sugar daddy at a Jewish funeral, a Shiva, uh, attended by her family, an ex-girlfriend, you know. Um, Shiva Baby is such a witty and pithy affair, uh, making good use of its claustrophobic single setting for highly uncomfortable humour and well-choreographed suspense. In, in, mm. in, and so well-choreographed suspense that it, it often plays like horror movie right down to its, you know, plucky, like, string soundtrack, right? It's very yeah. horror-y, yeah. you know? Um, and Seligman, he, she tightly orchestrates all this in a sarcastic and lively film with loving cultural Jewish specificity 
and and also like nuance and she really works you know the satirical muscles to elevate every escalating com- complication in daniel's life at this moment you know uh what are your thoughts on this weird little dramedy sh- shiva baby oh god when you say anxiety inducing it's totally true there are these moments in time where you know with the tight camera angles and just kind of like this incessant chatter of like the people around you together with like the strings is mm-hmm. it's absolutely claustrophobic right yeah. I, I felt like i found myself like you know holding my breath and having like more kind of like measured breathing throughout that time it really is very evocative like i i don't know how um how how you tune it that finely right to kind of capture that kind of strange tension of social awkward mm-hmm. interaction that is necessary due to you know societal expectations in, in this case yeah. a very specific um community um, yes it is yeah. extremely it's not extremely difficult to watch like we've talked about films that is extremely difficult to watch but mm. it's a trip for sure uh mm-hmm. I, I think as you follow kind of Danielle uh, uh, through her story and kind of like ups and downs of that as she tries to navigate all this mess, right? That that that, that um that kind of like uh coagulates in this yeah. in this couple of moments in the house. Because it it's pretty much all in real time. Yeah. And somewhat self inflicted mess as well, you know? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and like life is life is messy like that for sure. Yeah. But you know, I yeah. don't think it's often that it it kind of congregates all together in one house. Mm. Uh, and then, like, as it does that, it congregates in her head as well. Uh, and, and that is just like a... Uh, oh, goodness. I, I really, like... <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, like... I have had some experiences where it feels like that, uh, mm-hmm. but nothing mm-hmm. to this extent. And I, I don't think I've seen a film that has captured that as succinctly and as eloquently as Shiva yep. Baby has. Yeah. Yeah, oh, 100%, you know. Um a lot of you may not know that, but my close friends know that my my greatest fear in life is not like ghosts or <laughs> demons or uh even a car accident. My my greatest fear in life literally is family gatherings. Yeah. Like this plays into my deepest deepest fear. Like family gatherings. Like if you don't know, like I mean, I probably shouldn't say what I do during her. <laughs> But like my, my, my friends know like, like how averse I am to family gatherings. So yep. like you know, you don't necessarily need to be Jewish to, to understand the stress of the situation. No, not at all. Yeah. Or you just need to have a family to yep. appreciate the high high anxiety and mortifying comedy of, of the of the fuck ups here, you know. Like there are all you I'm sure all of you have been questioned by family members <laughs> about your life and things that you don't want to say, you know. Um your question about your weight, your question about your habits, your question about your ambition and your career, you know, and you just don't want to get into it, you know. Yeah. Add to the fact, you know, I've never had a sugar daddy, which makes it a lot more complicated, you know. So, you know, um, Danielle here is uh, on a sugar baby app, so she has transactional relationships for money, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, also, her parents don't know that she is bisexual or a lesbian. Uh, yeah. And her ex-girlfriend, uh, played by Molly Gordon, who seems to be like, who seems to kind of steal the show every time she's in a in indie film? She you may have you may recognize her from Booksmart and things mm-hmm, like that. You mm-hmm. know, she's there as well. So she has to hide that relationship from her parents. Uh, then she has to hide her sugar daddy from both her parents and the girlfriend. You know, uh, and then you have the weird awkward relationship between the girlfriend and her as well. They're kind of frenemies now. Um, it, it all comes together. Uh, and and then you know the the sugar daddy's wife 
uh, the 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 blue uh, uh the blue eyed blonde hat Shiksa comes yeah. in and she looks amazing, you know, and then that, <laughs> that that plays into her insecurity as well, and this all comes together in this uh absolute car crash of a funeral, you know, where where the least dramatic thing is that she doesn't even know who died. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she clar- tries to clarify a number of times and never gets a clear answer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Um, fantastic. Like, I love... Did, did you love, like, the very obvious horror uh, tropes thrown into this comedy? You know, like, it feels very like she w- the director was going straight for a horror film. Yeah, it did. I, I, yeah. The, the first most obvious one, I think, is the soundtrack, right? And yeah. um, you don't get any of that until she steps into the house. Right, mm-hmm. but it it feels exactly like that, right? We've just kind of like this very sparse sort of like off key strings there, you know. We we kind of like gets under your skin, uh, mm-hmm. in in a in a very kind of like subtle way as conversation is going on, and it just kind of adds to the general like tension and and awkwardness that that builds uh, across the entire movie itself. It's oh, just like yes. it's so very obvious, but even then, like you know, um, some some of the the camera work as well is very, um, reminiscent of of like very classic horror, um, storytelling. Yeah, yeah, I I also think like it's it's paced to perfection. Mm. Um, it it's grounded by a magnetic lead performance, you know, and it's painfully awkward, but at the same time impossible to look away. Um, and I find it rare for a film to simultaneously balance such wildly divergent tones, horror, comedy, drama, awkwardness, and, and to interweave big laughs with gut-wrenching discomfort. I particularly enjoy the choreography of the small room, you know, with like all the little turns that she has to make. It's like yeah. navigating a minefield, you know. Such a tight script and such great performances kind of anchor this. Uh, and Again, it's universally relatable. You know, you've all have family members who just want to dig into your lives and question you, and oh, and sort of like you know, it's uh, insulting without being without meaning to be insulting. <laughs> you know, or sometimes and, and, insulting to be insulting, depending. Correct, correct, yeah, and 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 we've all had had that line. Like, it's so really relatable. Like, you don't really need to be Jewish to understand the what's going on here. It's thrilling. It's thrilling. I really love it. Yeah. 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 Uh, a fair warning for those of you that do struggle, um, you know, with anxiety and, and things like that. This yeah. might trigger some of your social anxiety um, mm-hmm. just from, like, watching it alone. I, I know it had an effect on me for certain scenes uh, in particular. <laughs> um, yeah, full cringe. Full yeah, cringe. I'm just like, oh my god, I can feel it. Like, uh, um, But yeah, you know, still an extremely good film, um, you know. But fair warning, if, if you do tend towards that, um yeah just just be aware you know um but definitely yeah. shiva baby is a great film to watch just for like tonally just nailing it like mm-hmm. absolutely like just spot on um capturing the emotional kind of turmoil of yeah. all of your bad life choices uh coming together at once yeah, and and the the great thing about it is right, like it's I mean not just the performances and and score and music, uh, the the deadpan humor, you know, and everything. The great thing about this is like it's only kind of seventy ish minutes, so it's not much to get through. You can get through it. You yeah, know? yeah. It's not like a two hour feature. You just have to get through it for seventy minutes. But seventy minutes can feel like a lifetime. You know? <laughs> uh, it's it's that kind of despair that that lingers, you know. Um, mm. one of my favorite scenes in the film actually comes towards the end where the dad is trying to get everyone into the car. You know oh what I'm talking God. about? Yeah. <laughs> it's so stressful. But like, haven't you been there? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Like Andrew Tan is so oblivious to like the the mood in the car. <laughs> it's it's oh my god. There's just like so many. And and the thing is, like, no one no one actually gives any sort of like emotional attention to the person who's actually grieving. Yeah, that's right. Right? That's like, right. They completely yeah. just, like, pass her off. People mm. are puking in her house, clogging up yeah. the toilets, and she's just trying to keep everything together. And, yeah. and to be fair, Dan- Danielle and, and Maya do try to help out, right, as best mm-hmm. they can. Mm-hmm. But, like, while they're struggling with their own thing, this woman is, like, just harried and, like, completely at her wit's end. And no one, not a single person at this, at this Shiva gives a damn, very honestly. Yeah, yeah, they're all caught up in their own drama, right? Yeah, and it's it's kind of insane, right? Because like she occasionally just comes into the into the frame. In passing, she walks past, and there's like a one liner of her complaining about making some, you know, sarcastic comment about how how shit her life is at the moment. And I'm just like, oh my god, this poor lady, mm-hmm. um, just kind of buried right in the background amidst all everything that's going on with with uh Daniels and and <laughs> her kind of drama. Yes, yeah. Oh my gosh. Um yeah, very stressful film. It's a bit like Uncut Gems in a way, so yeah. fair warning, yeah, there is a trigger warning here. Uh but I think like you do yourself a way and watch it, like, because it's one of those I don't know that I'm gonna rewatch it. It's a bit like Uncut Gems again, like a Safdi Brothers I, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, I, I would rewatch it if I was showing a friend it. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, it, yeah. it's one of those films that you kind of recommend, and then you you tell them, okay, fair warning. But if you want to watch it, I don't mind watching it with you. But it's more for the experience of like watching them watch it. One of those mm-hmm. movies, I, mm. I think I would probably do that, but probably not on my own, just because like, oh no, no, I don't, I don't want to have to relive that, uh, and all the associated feelings of my personal experiences in that realm as well yeah. again. Yeah, um, but solid, yeah. solid stuff. Um, yeah, for a debut film, uh, it's it's um, yeah, it's Emma Emma Zagram's first film, so, right? Correct. Yeah, a couple of debuts uh, kicking off like our our highlights here. So great new filmmakers to look out for are these two, you know? Yeah. Um, and next up we have a non-fiction film. This is a documentary by Alexander Nanau from Romania. And this is such a riveting portrait of political corruption. <laughs> um, one of the best journalism documentaries you will ever see. Um, it follows the aftermath of a 2015 nightclub flyer in Bucharest that killed 64 people. Yeah. Uh, and then it ties into a mis- the mysterious death of a pharmaceutical CEO, the resignation of a health minister, you know, all seemingly unrelated events. And an intrepid team of reporters from a sports magazine, mm. um, digs in to expose a massive scandal and cover-up in Romania. Um, Collective plays almost like a propulsive, real-time investigative thriller, exploring the fallout of a national tragedy and the courage of those reporters who are, who are tirelessly working to uncover the truth. You know, um, As I've kind of hinted at, there are layers upon layers upon layers to this conspiracy. And the way that the, the heroic team of journalists uh, you know, uh, uncover shocking widespread corruption through you know good old fashioned, uh, you know, uh, boots on the ground and 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 stuff like that. It's it's kind of inspiring, but at the same time horrifying in what in what they find out. Yeah, you know, um, a great real time detective story and journalism story. And I bet one of these days we're gonna get some sort of Hollywood um adaptation of this because it's it's just it's just too wild to be. It's one of those like. <laughs> 
fact, it's stranger than fiction kind of story. Oh, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I really wouldn't be surprised if there's someone's writing a script somewhere for an adaptation. It's just that it 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 is so complete in the drama and, and the issues that it presents that I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Hollywood's gonna jump on that sometime soon, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, what are your overall thoughts on the documentary and its approach uh, to covering these journalists? Uh, it, it, it did feel like it started a bit slow, right? Um, you know, you don't... The, it slowly kind of leads you in into, you know, the context and exactly what is going on before it kind of gets to... Well, not really the meat of it, right? Like, it feels like as an audience, you are uh, doing the same kind of work that the journalists are, right? Like, there is a, a big question mark uh, mm. things don't add up and you know much like they are doing as you see in the film uh, trying to uncover these things you are along for the ride mm-hmm. once it picks up though oh good god this is harrowing the kind of revelations that come out the kind of like behavior that is exposed it is so dark my god yes and yes, it's you know. uh it's riveting um in all the ways that a, a train crash is riveting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's it's hard to look away, right? Like there isn't much in terms of like I mean, obviously the the style of it is is clearly documentary, and it is very um very clear cut. Like it's very straightforward, right? There are these journalists. This is what they're trying to do, and these are the people they speak to and interview and capture while they're doing that, mm-hmm. and. Outside of that, it's just like the entire story is just bonkers. Um, yeah, that it's it's hard to believe that it's nonfiction, right? Yes. Like it feels yeah. like it was it was birthed in you know, like a Grisham novel maybe, right? Like uh, of of that kind of ilk, uh, in terms yes. of like, the conspiracy behind that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, there's there's a lot of moments of just like hopelessness and haplessness and, mm. and disbelief I, I've, I found myself feeling as mm. I'm watching through this at the scale of um, the problem mm-hmm. as well as the lack of solution to that problem. And the lack of will to even solve it, you know? Yeah. Uh, at least among the bureaucrats, with that good exception of like the new uh, health minister that was appointed. Yeah, I'm just going to call him Vlad because I can't pronounce his, his surname. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Hi, uh, my name is Vlad. It is a uh, very Mr. endearing. F- yeah, I'm, I'm Minister Vlad. Yeah, Minister Vlad. I'm the health minister. Yeah, yeah. He's um, uh, he's quite endearing though. I really like him. I mean, like he is he's genuine to a fault, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think especially um towards the third act uh of mm-hmm. of the film when he starts getting slandered and and kind of like drawn into. Like his good intentions and and everything that he's the good that he's trying to do gets dragged into like the mudslinging content. Oh yeah. my god! And like just yeah. the way he kind of laughs, not mm-hmm. laughs it off, but laughs at the 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 kind of absurdity like, of the situation. You know? Yeah, the, I I really really felt for him. Like if there's anyone, like the journalists are definitely kind of the stars here, right? Like they're mm-hmm. putting everything on the line to be very honest and then you kind of mm-hmm. find out at the end like you know it's not just their their careers and all of that uh now that they're coming under a lot of scrutiny but even their families have been threatened as well in in one particular scene you know yeah. they're definitely the heroes of the story but minister vlad damn mm-hmm. like um the one kind of shining beacon in this like like pass hole of like corruption and, and yeah and, 
And it, what makes it worse is that it has to do with the public health system, mm-hmm. right? Like you expect. I mean, like for us in Singapore, I I think we do take it for granted. We do have a very good health system here, mm-hmm. um, and like just the idea that you can't trust the hospitals to keep you free from like simple bacterial infection is insane. Absolutely, it's yeah, absolutely insane. Uh, and the lengths at which people are go, people have gone to make a buck off of everything mm-hmm. is 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 kind of sickening. No pun intended. Yes. Yeah, you know, it's um the the thing is like collective starts out with the inciting incident, obviously the nightclub fire in Bucharest, you know. Yeah. Uh which is horrific enough just taken by itself, you know, this ill-fated heavy metal performance that quickly unfolds into mayhem due to um malfunctioning pyrotechnics, you know, that causes a, a fire. Yeah. A bunch of people died, you know, and, and you think for a while, like that's the story, you know, like that's a big national tragedy until it unfolds and then and and it, Unlikely hero emerges in the form of a Sports Gazette reporter, Kathleen Tolontan, mm-hmm. uh, who works for a publication that, is, as its title implies, is more invested in athletic issues than medicinal malpractice. But he and his colleagues, weirdly, are they are not okay? Not even not weirdly, though, because this makes sense. <laughs> They're not state run. Yeah, which is what allows them to to dig deep into this without oversight from from uh you know government government PR and stuff like that, right? You know. Yeah. Um, so they are the ones who uncover this this huge conspiracy. First, it starts out big enough. You know, you 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 find out that a pharmaceutical company is diluting antibacterial uh disinfectants. You know. Yeah. Uh, the the stuff that doctors use for surgeries and stuff like that, diluted to the point that it's like one one tenth of its uh, initial uh potency, right? You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. So. Then there are the tense phone calls and revealing sources and tracking people in cars and photographing people. And then the whole conspiracy gets larger and then larger and then larger to the point where you just can't believe the, the health system in Romania is in, in, is in a hole this deep. Uh, not just a hole this deep, but you know, created by bureaucrats who care more about uh, you know, populist politics mm-hmm. than the safety of its citizens. Yeah. Uh, it's it really captures the sort of um dystopian democratic ideals that have been pervasive ever since uh Trump uh got elected. Right. Like yeah. we we all over the world, people have started to feel very let down by the process of democracy. Uh, and 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 just democracy failing in itself, uh, and and nowhere that nowhere is there more more evident than in collective. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, it does focus on the the healthcare system in Romania, but mostly it focuses on the politics that created the ga- the gaping holes in the healthcare system uh, that that uh, collective is is uh, uncovering. You know, it's it's insane. You know, from bribery to fake uh documentation mm-hmm. to uh, the bacteria scandal, you know, and 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 everything. Like, it's such an engrossing narrative that it, it it you forget that it takes place several years into the past, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and also kind of makes you wonder how they're how Romania is handling uh the COVID nineteen crisis right now, you mm-hmm. know. Um, as well as you know the the, the as a journalism documentary is really really good. You know, it it inspires you to uh heal and celebrate people who are willing to put their lives and careers on the line to uncover the truth. Yeah. Uh, as well as, you know, some well-meaning bureaucrats who are, you know, one little cog raging against the machine and just, you know, unable to do anything despite all his best intentions, you know. 
it's it's very disquieting uh, and very procedure driven. I might add, mm. it almost feels o- almost like a, a David Fincher type um, Zodiac or something, you know, <laughs> where where you're you're following these guys on the on the ground, you know, gumshoeing uh, and and everything. All very good. Um, I think the editing also, uh, and the way that the editing helps you connect the dots, yeah, into the into the vast machinery of a world, uh, at, at odds with himself. You know, uh, a complicated healthcare system in Romania. Uh, very striking. Uh, and it navigates the the wreckage of all of this with a throbbing sense of purpose. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, it is. It is. Oh man. Um, it is. It is. It is. Honest to a fault, for sure, mm-hmm. right? Like in there, but this takes collective takes a lot um, of your attention, just to kind of like it takes a lot of energy to watch this. It really does. Mm. I, I think it also has to do with the fact that we are not obviously not r- native Romanian speakers and having to deal with the subtitles and sometimes the confusing kind of like overlaps of conversation and things like that as the subtitles trying to kind of struggle to keep up. Um, yep. With that kind of adds to the how harrowing it is because mm-hmm. of uh, um, you know, just like not being able to understand. But even if you don't understand the words, um, mm-hmm. the emotions come through kind of like very clearly, right? Like more often than not, you are faced on screen with someone who is asking questions mm-hmm. that they they just want answers to because you know somebody died or you know it's because of their pain and suffering. Like they mm-hmm. want to know why it is that they have gone through what they've gone through and suffered what they've suffered mm. um, to people who don't have answers, right? And yeah. and that ranges from, you know, the, the um, everyone, right, within this film itself. And every time someone can't give an answer, no matter how well-meaning they are or how effusive they are being because they are guilty of it, it's mm-hmm. just, uh, it, it is, it is uh, heartbreaking um, mm. to, to know that um, something that should, you know, be a basic kind of human right, um, is is taken for granted and taken advantage of in on such a wide scale. Mm. Um, you know, it it really, I I think it being the public healthcare system, yeah, um, really does make you kind of question the humanity of individuals who choose right, uh, very mm. obstinately to to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um from its opening moments to its devastating climax, you know, collective plays like a gripping real-time thriller, you know, it merges the kind of rep- the the reportorial, the journalistic intensity of, you know, a film like Spotlight, you know, yeah. with the kind of like paranoid uncertainty of a Grisham novel or a Manchurian candidate as you mentioned, mm, you know. Yeah. And it explores this national fallout of a tragedy that just won't let up, you know. The fallout keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's so tout, it's so intensely procedural, but it also has a resonant story that 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 allows you to connect with the victims and and also question why this is happening, you know, yeah. and the journalistic investigation and this this attempt to fix a fatally dysfunctional medical bureaucracy, you know. All the while, there are criminal organizations, corrupt politicians, corrupt bureaucrats, corrupt hospital administrators, and rebel rousing television hosts, you know, who do nothing except feed misinformation, you know. Yep. They, it's all like, you know, coming in concert to stymie any real sense of any real ability to reform a dysfunctional system. So, you know, it. it it's very real. It's very. It's it's very our times right now. Like, whether you're living in America or anywhere else, like, you mm-hmm. feel like this kind of 
uh, hopelessness in democracy, you know, which is why you should watch Collective, uh, a documentary that I feel should have won Best Documentary at this year's Oscars. You know, it's, it's a bit sad that it didn't win. La. Who was it up against? Okay, I mean, in, in fairness, the, 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 the list of documentaries that were up for grabs, like uh, they, were, they were competing, were all very good. Mm-hmm. But the worst possible documentary won, you know, they, they picked the worst possible choice, which is My Octopus Teacher on Netflix. Oh, Have you seen that? Oh, God. Uh, I, I watched like 15 minutes of it. I, I wasn't mm-hmm. interested. Yeah, I mean, like, I, f- I think octopus are completely amazing, uh, amazing creatures, but like, yeah. you know, it really didn't catch me. Really? Yeah, it won? My- what the hell? My yeah. octopus teacher, like, kind of, um, it, it, it sort of made, it, it, okay, a, a documentary about octopus on Net Geo, I'll watch, you know. Yeah. Because octopuses are intelligent, amazing creatures, you know. But this was framed in, in a very masturbatory way, more about one guy's middle-age crisis rather than actually about octopus. Yeah. And it makes such big leaps, you know, like, oh, like, this octopus is teaching him how to live life and how to make himself better. I mean, no, this octopus is just being an octopus, you know, you, you're you are you're, you're projecting so much. And then not only that, you're masturbating uh, in an effort to gain uh, some sort of profound insight and maybe get an Academy Award, yeah. which she did, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate, you know, like uh, there were other things, so much better things like uh, Dick Johnson is dead on Netflix was really great. Yep. Um, Crip Camp is really great. Uh, Boy State on Apple TV, you know, there were so many other great documentaries up for uh up for the award and they literally picked the worst one you know? and and collective is also like that if collective had lost to crip camp or dick johnson is dead or the boys mm. i wouldn't have minded so much but the octopus teacher really yeah 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 ah uh, oh well oh well uh yeah but anyways uh if you guys can uh where, mm-hmm. where can where, where can they find collective this is gonna be uh, a bit hard to find isn't it H- hbo uh, Yes, Collective is available on HBO Go or if you like to purchase or rent it, you can find it on places like Amazon and iTunes as well. It's yeah. available on General VOD, you know. Yeah. So yeah, um, all, all three of the films so far that we've talked about are available on General VOD. Finally, I'm going to talk about, uh, as I said earlier, the, the artsiest uh, bromance film of all time uh, <laughs> called The Climb. Uh, this is a bromance comedy, which is also an incredible two-hander that veers from caustic to sweet through really su- shockingly sublime filmmaking. Mm. Um, some of the most intensely creative camera work that I've seen yep. in film comes from this weird bromance movie. Um, the Climb follows best friends Kyle and Mike, who share a close bond, until Kyle finds out that Mike has slept with his fiance. Um the film explores their tumultuous yet enduring relationship across many years of laughter, heartbreak, and rage, uh, turning their connection into a rich, humane, and uproarious look at the vulnerability behind masculine facades. You know, um, it is buoyed definitely by testosterone-fueled toilet jokes and oddball chemistry. Yeah. But the climb is a really shrewd take on male friendship and a really very I've never seen this before. A very like, you know, art house take on the whole like <laughs> Judd Apatow bromance kind of vibe, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um well, what do you think about this very this very like uh, artsy take on, on bromance comedy? Oh man. Okay, so I uh I I watched through it the, on my first watch, I only watched it halfway and then I got distracted and interrupted and then I came back to it again. And on mm-hmm. the first watch, I was just pretty like infuriated, to be very yeah. honest. Like what wow what a relationship like kyle and mike's relationship is toxic to the nth degree Mm -hmm. um as is 
very honestly, almost every other relationship in Kyle's life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anything from like his ex-fiance to his new fiance to his parents and his sister, just like everybody in Mike's life is basically just toxic, including Mike himself. Mm-hmm. But um, like Mike and Kyle, um, I mean, Mike just takes the cake for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we've, I, I guess most people all have that one asshole friend. Mm-hmm. Oh, but Mike is Mike. Mike takes the crown, right? Like, if if there there's an archetypal like asshole friend, like he he kind of embodies that. You yeah, know? and yeah, I think I was yeah, a lot you know. more focused on that. Um, the my first kind of like one half that I watched through, mm-hmm. upon starting it again, just because you know I don't like to break the the momentum of that. You mm-hmm. do start to kind of notice all the little little things that are part of the, um film experience outside of the story itself like you're talking about all like the really smart kind of cuts and the angle work and all that like Mm -hmm. super super solid stuff um for me personally those were intriguing in the way that they were used especially Mm -hmm. when they were put to good use given the story at that point in time Uh, but there were moments of kind of dissonance with that i feel Mm. um you know which is why for me like the climb doesn't rank as highly as the other three that we've talked about today um, there's a lot of it's fun uh, in a completely kind of like silly maybe not hangover per se mm-hmm. um, kind of like nonsensical kind of but there are just these moments of absurdity that are so close to real life um, mm-hmm. that are completely believable yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And, and maybe even you know um, uh, I mean like for me we're like when, uh, it reminded me a lot of relationships I had when I was growing up in a boys' school. Ah, yes, yes, yeah. yeah. That's what it I felt like yeah. to me. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, just like the the, the, the kind of like uh, machismo and bromissimo that mm-hmm. just deep, like, you know, adolescent boys have. But this is like two men who like pretty much don't ever grow out of that for mm. a good number of years. Mm. Um, but but it's, it's, uh, it, it's told in a way that is at once infuriating, but also endearing at the same time. Like, by the time you're halfway through, mm. you're kind of invested, right, in how Kyle is going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, kind of, like, hoping that Mike will just, you know, fuck off and, and die somewhere uh, <laughs> in the middle of it. At least that, those are my personal feelings. La. Yeah, yeah. Um, But at the same time, like, it's more complicated than that. And I think they did a very good job of exploring that in the much quieter, more Mm. serious moments of the film. Uh, Mm. And how that very deep friendship amidst the nonsense and, and, you know, the toxicity and and the betrayals and all of that boils down to these really kind of like simple moments and simple conversations of understanding between two men. Yeah, that, yeah, you realize why they're friends, right? And yeah. Why they keep being friends despite everything. Yeah, right? that kind of belies the the whole point of the film. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm curious actually to why it's called the climb. I I didn't do any additional reading about that. Uh, the climb, uh, much like Shiva Baby, was actually based on a short film, and this ah. was uh the entirety of the first scene 
you know, as they are climbing up the hill, biking up the hill, and yeah. as a uh, longtime uh, friends Mike and Kyle, yeah. um, you know, uh, t- discuss the infidelity that just happened, you know, yeah. uh, that entire first scene was a short film, uh, uh, which which uh, the director decided to expand into a feature feature film, you know. Mm-hmm. So, like the the starting point for the climb is a, it's a clever scenario that is so economical that I think it could it couldn't have hinted at a grand design to follow, you know. But as I Agreed. mentioned, Mike and Kyle bike up a steep hill as Mike, <laughs> who is the fitter of the two, speeds ahead while confessing that he's been sleeping with Carl's fiance. Um the thing is, right, like the reason that he did that is because like he knows that um Kyle would be too out of breath, too tired to really fight back. Yeah. Uh, which is a diabolical in, in a sense, you know. And in those like seven tight minutes, the short film envisioned a pair of dopey breathless man children whose tight bond is tested under the silliest of circumstances yeah. but at the same time real circumstance that could possibly happen so w- where could it possibly go from there as it turns out it goes to a bunch <laughs> of different exciting places and it's a sharp two-handed as, as i said it's both caustic and sweet with a lot of acrobatic filmmaking to to frame it all uh the simplicity of the opening bit works to the movie's advantage i feel because it yeah. careens from unpredictable time jumps into unpredictable time jumps, you know? Yeah. Uh, thanks to De- Dexter's camera work, uh, testosterone fueled brawls, and, and all while exploring the fragility beneath their man-children masculine surfaces, you know? Yeah. That disastrous biking trip ends up providing the ideal introduction to the pair's oddball chemistry. Um, Kyle is kind of this affable romantic who's easygoing nature kind of feels like a John C. Riley kind, kind of thing, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and, and he kind of resists the alpha male Mike's shadow. Yeah. Um, it's 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 very complicated, but then their roles are reversed as time goes on, you know. Uh, and then you, t- you time jump to a funeral, which I won't spoil whose funeral it is, but then you're like, whoa, okay. <laughs> I That's ended, so we're going on to a yep. new phase into this, you know. Uh, yep. the, the funeral, by the way, has one of my, my favorite gags of the year. <laughs> the, the whole, like, this is a union cemetery gag, you yep. know, where, the, where you're not allowed to pick up um, dirt if you're not unionized. It's hilarious and oh, also very oh, American. Yeah. It, it made me laugh very hard, you know. Uh, and then it goes to like a a, a house dinner setting uh, over Thanksgiving and Christmas, where it has one of the best camera work uh, shots I've ever seen. You know, where they they track people outside the house through ca- through windows, you know. And then like uh, f- first it's Thanksgiving, and then the the camera pans out to a bunch of snowy cars, and then it becomes Christmas. You know, there's this time jump, and then it goes back to the house, yeah. and then it follows a variety of conversation through windows. It's so fucking cool. I've never seen it done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has all these really interesting musical interludes in between as well. You know, yeah. Um, it feels like there's a lot of like ambition and artistry and creativity in here. Uh, more than the director knows what to do with or yeah. is relevant to the story. Yeah. You know, I just like really admire the the whole like, you know, this is my, f- I'm just going to do whatever I want in this film, you know, <laughs> and it's a very like art- artistic approach to to a story that I've kind of seen a million times in a Judd Apatow or James Franco uh, kind of vehicle. Uh. It's yeah. just like a more lo-fi, a more artistic version of it uh, yeah. with 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 great camera work and with more creative uh, editing uh and artistic choices like uh, you know it's so great like a, a great snippet of domestic unrest that maybe is uh and the sum of his parts is not as good as his individual bright moments yeah i agree i agree yeah i, I do i think it's a very bold uh artistic choice to cut the stories just before what most people would be the climax for each individual part. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's not the point, right? Like you come to the idea that I've already shown you the parts that you need to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and fuck you for everything else. Like you don't mm-hmm. need to see everything else. You go fill it up yourself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and that is both. I mean, like it's clever in moments. Mm-hmm. It's infuriating in others. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but I mean, it's bold. Uh, filmmaking in in that yeah. kind of sense, it's bold storytelling in that kind of sense, and I can respect that. Uh, mm. but sometimes I'm, I you get it does feel annoying for sure. Oh, absolutely! It's far. It's very annoying, like in especially in a sense that you know you send so much talent in the filmmaking and the yeah. writing. Yeah, that this could have been more. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the, uh, right at the end of the podcast, I will name like a bunch of other films that I feel like deserve the spot more than The Climb, but for some reason, I don't love as much as The Climb. Mm-hmm. I think I was just very like taken in by the almost restless film school showmanship uh, <laughs> of, 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 the two, of the two filmmakers, you know, yeah. who are also the two stars of the film, uh, and the just genuine inventiveness that each sequence presented. Uh, it was such an... Uh, unpredictable ride uh, to present uh, a very predictable formula. You know, yeah. um, like even when the drama careens into overall or cliche territory, I think the climb does a lot to mine artistic poetry from the buddy movie genre, and probably yeah. uh, one of the most refreshing takes on that genre that I've seen in a while. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, those are my final thoughts. Uh, any anything to say about the climb or any of the other films before we kind of name our honorable mentions? Uh. No, no, not really. I mean, like, keep a lookout for the Hollywood adaptation of The Collective. Um, yeah. Probably yeah. starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Maybe Ben Affleck. Uh, mm. Yeah, it feels like in that kind of realm, I'm guessing. Mm. I, I really, Jake really Gyllenhaal like. was, um, was in the, was Zodiac, right? Yeah. Yep, Zodiac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> Yeah, David yeah. Venture, Jake Gyllenhaal. You know, yeah. let's get Mike, uh, Mark Ruffalo back. Who's been? He's also in Zodiac and also in Spotlight. So he that does these things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, he he can he can be Minister Vlad, uh, for example. Correct. You know, and they could do it like uh, in a very Chernobyl type of way, where they just speak English, but you just assume the screen is a universal translator. You know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, or I mean, hopefully they don't do like bad Romanian accents that would. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, anyways, let's move on. With yeah, let's move on. You know, there there are a couple of films that I really should have picked above the climb. You know, I was tempted to change it for a while, but yeah, there's a, there was a lot of great hidden cinematic gems in twenty twenty one. You know, yeah. uh, I, before I I I sort of take over. Like, are there any that that you've seen that you would like spotlight? Uh, I not in particular. I think like a lot of the films that we've well that I've watched and this side of things were things that you were you've recommended to me. Um, more or less. So I don't think I've watched enough of a breadth of films this year in particular, particularly of like the more obscure indie stuff. Right, um, right. To be right. able to comment on that. Okay, cool. Uh, one of them that I've already sort of commented on is a film called La Leronia, coming out mm. of Guatemala. Yeah. Uh, a great horror film that marries uh, a classic haunted house story with the horrors of genocide. A very real. A genocide that happened to the Mayan people over in Guatemala. So you should definitely should check out La Laronia. Uh, not the Curse of La Laronia, which is the Blumhouse uh, horror film. Yeah, which is, they're they're very different stories. Very different <laughs> okay. stories. Yeah. Uh, one thing I saw recently is a film called a documentary film called Summer of Soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, or when the revolution could not be televised. It's directed ah. and written uh, by Questlove. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, 
It takes place in 1969 during the same summer as Woodstock, where a different music festival took place just 100 miles away over in the Bronx in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, more than 300,000 people attended the summer concert series known as the Harlem Cultural Festival. You know, mm-hmm. It was filmed, but after that summer, somehow the footage got lost. Up until now, Questler found the footage and decided to make a documentary out of it that, that doesn't just tell the story of a concert, but how the concert plays into the cultural significance of that particular era in the late 60s, especially yeah. just a few years after uh, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, JFK, and Bobby Kennedy were just assassinated. And, you know, the, the height of the civil rights movement, you mm-hmm. know. So it, this just isn't about black music, but it's also about black culture and how, like, underseen black culture is, particularly because, you know, this monumental events, you know, of the same skirts would stop doesn't receive the kind of reverence or historical underpinning that Woodstock gets, you know. So, um, yeah, it's very great. And, and you can watch, you know, a ton of, like, legendary soul R&B mm-hmm. uh, singers, just like Aretha Franklin and, and all of that, just singing at the height of the prime. Uh, incredible, yeah. Some of Soul is probably my favorite non-fiction I've seen just because it's so exuberant and so fun, you know. Yeah. Uh, really, really great. Uh, another one I would like to highlight is Gunda. Uh, which I recently saw at the projector. Mm-hmm. Um, not for everyone. It's a non-dialogue, no dialogue at all, no narration, no voiceover. You just follow in black and white the lives of a bunch of farm animals, particularly pigs, oh. chickens, <laughs> and uh, cows. Uh, and you know, there's no like uh, David Attenborough like trying to uh, anthropomorphize them. Yeah, you just have to settle into the rhythm of their life. You know, you're watching them nurse, you're watching them eat, you're watching them fly, you're watching them lay eggs, you know that kind of thing. And at first, you're like, I'm kind of bored, and then you're you're just mesmerized by the simplicity and rhythms of their life to the point where you kind of just put yourself in their shoes, like, you know, and you sort of chill with them. You know, uh, it's like uh, rocks, but for farm animals. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it's great. I really, really loved it. Like, I I did not think I would like it, but I ended up really, really liking it. Um, Stray is kind of similar. Stray oh. is a film. It's a film out of Turkey that follows uh, stray dogs mm-hmm. in in Istanbul. Uh, it's very similar to Caddy, which follows stray cats in Istanbul. Yeah. Uh, so if you like Caddy and you like dogs, you should you should watch uh, Stray. Uh, finally, I do want to mention. Uh, well, well, I share. I've already talked about Saint Maud, right? We yep. had a whole dual feature on that, so let's mm-hmm. pick another one. I want to mention the reason I jump, which is based on a best-selling book by Naoki Higashida. Mm-hmm. The reason I jump is this immersive cinematic exploration of neurodiversity through the experiences of non-speaking autistic people from all around the world. So you get to kind of delve into the lives and experiences of non-speaking autistic people uh, who are the, the worst affected in the, sp- in the spectrum. You know? yep. And it, it allows you to gain a measure of empathy and care for them that you didn't know that you had, uh, particularly because you know you don't quite understand the situation, you don't quite understand the diagnosis and what they need and how they communicate. And the reason I I jump, I think, is a really good window into into their lives. Uh, you know? Yeah. Um, and, oh. The one that I wanted to replace The Climb with, but I chose The Climb for some reason, <laughs> is a film called uh, The Killing of Two Lovers, uh, which is straight up in my top five of the year. Uh, it's basically, uh, it, it follows this guy called David, who who is desperately trying to keep his family of six together during a separation from his wife, Nikki. You know, mm-hmm. They both agree to see other pe- people, but David struggles with his wife's new relationship. It's a very quiet, unsettling domestic drama mm-hmm. that always verges. You know, every scene has this tension that it could lead to violence, but it doesn't. You know, and it's, it's just a very great, it's, it's one of those domestic dramas that you don't expect to be great because of the simplicity of its premise. Yeah. It's this year's The Nest. 
Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I recently also watched The French Dispatch at Cannes. Uh, very good film, but it's very like late Wes Anderson, where it's more style than substance. So I don't know like where they would sit. Sit, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. We will see. We will see. I. 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 I am itching for Dune to come because I feel, in particular, having recently kind of like seen a couple of Shyamalan films. Mm-hmm. It's oh man, I really hope that you know his his turn as Paul will kind of like break him out of the mold that he's currently in. Yeah, so I mean, I'm sure he'll do a good job as will you know Zendaya and Oscar Isaac and Rebecca Ferguson. It's such a stacked, amazing cast, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, this coming October in the in the first couple of weeks of October, we'll be doing a deep dive into the Dune series, all six books, Brian Herbert's um, <laughs> continuation of the franchise, the sci-fi miniseries, the David Lynch uh, movie, the the weird uh, documentary about Jodorowsky's mm-hmm. vision for Dune, which isn't really Dune, yeah. but kind of kind of intriguing in the same way, <laughs> you know. So we'll, we'll we'll talk all about Dune this coming October before the film re- releases, and of course, once the film is out, we'll talk about Dune the movie by Daniel Villeneuve on genre quality. Yep, for sure. Yeah, so that's what we have planned. Uh, this coming week will be. It's our latest episode of Genre Equality, uh, headlined by two massive Marvel blockbusters. Mm-hmm. Loki, the series, recently ended, so we'll be delving into that. You know, a film that I have not a film, a mini a series that I have mixed feelings about. Yeah. Uh, kind of didn't like the first half, really liked the second half. Uh, and, and Black Widow as well, uh, another film I have mixed feelings about. Same, you know, mm-hmm. like not a, not a particularly bad film. Uh, not 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 even a bad film. Uh, like objectively, yeah. it's not like it's just not. Great. It's not the level that I've I've come to uh expect from, from Marvel. Yeah. Um simultaneously we'll be talking about Masters of Universe Revelation, mm-hmm. uh one of the worst movies of 2021, Space Jam and New Legacy <laughs> getting into that, you know. Uh we'll talk about Resident Evil, Infinite Darkness, oh, uh America, the Washington Washington Picture, The Tomorrow War, another kind of very, very flawed blockbuster, Snake Eyes, uh Blood Red Sky, uh, Monsters at Work, which is a new uh, show based on Masters Inc. on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. uh, Kingdom, Ashen of the North, True Hunters, Rise of the Titans, and I recently read Project Hail Mary, Andy Weir's new book, so I'll be nice. reviewing that as well. So lots of big topics coming up. You know, what, what are you most excited to talk about on genre equality? Uh, I think, I mean, I'm going to be covering Troll Hunters. Uh, mm. From what we can gather, this might be the end of the franchise for now. Uh, there's, yeah. there's nothing else that's been announced past that. So right. as you, if you guys have followed us for a while at genre equality in particular, we've basically reviewed pretty well uh, almost everything from Troll Hunters, right? From uh, mm-hmm. Tales of Arcadia and well, Troll Hunters itself, Tales of Arcadia, and what's the other wizard one called? Uh, it's just is wizards. Oh yeah, uh, wizard. and then and and tree below. And tree below, yes. Uh, so yeah. we've reviewed all of that. Uh, we've loved most of it. Uh, with very few exceptions, actually. So I'm very excited to see how that all comes together. Uh, I do believe that it has all kind of like three kind of storylines boiling down into one. So yeah, we'll see. Hopefully it's good. Uh, Mm. And then Masters of the Universe, just because like, I don't know why in particular I watched Masters of the Universe as a kid. Yeah. Like thinking back, I'm not sure what the appeal of it was. Was it because it was a cartoon and it was on during cartoon time? Therefore, Mm -hmm. I watched it. But it does hold an interesting kind of like nostalgic spot in in my memory, for sure. 
Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to see where they go with this just because, like, Shira completely blew me away with the with its reinvention. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure if Masters of the Universe um, this time around is going for that necessarily. No. Um, um, Kevin Kevin Smith, who is uh, show running it, and, and he, has, he actually hasn't done any animation before, so this will be interesting to see how Kevin Smith does that. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Smith has gone on records multiple times on his podcast, Fat Man Beyond, by saying that like while he appreciates She-Ra's reinvention, yep. Masters of the Universe is straight up fan service. Yeah. Like if you love the cartoon, we're just doing the cartoon again, but like, you know, with better graphics and more <laughs> mature storytelling, you know. He's just he just wants to like it's it's just pure fan service and I'm 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 eager to see what it does with it. Yeah. It's it's yeah. Yeah. I mean like I'm I'm okay with that. So we'll, we'll just see where it goes. I mean it has a lot to live up to. Um, yeah. but from what I've seen so far in terms of like the the stills and kind of the trailer and stuff like that, it looks pretty good. Yeah, yeah, same. Oh, uh, you know, so uh Join us on the 1st of August, yeah. uh, which is when we'll be releasing next episode of Drone Equality. You know, uh, till then, this has been Hit Zero. I'm Isa. Uh, goodbye, guys. Remember to like, share, subscribe on YouTube. Ciao. See ya.